Hello and welcome to True Crime Sleep Stories, where you can settle in with a good true crime tale while drifting off into a safe, sleepy slumber. Maybe you want to sip on a hot cup of tea, grab a warm fleece blanket, or cozy up by the fire. Whatever you decide to do, just make sure you're comfortable and ready for relaxation. I'm your host, Kelly Barons Brink, and before we get started tonight, I want to remind you that as a Patreon member, you'll get even more sinister, sleepy content because you get multiple versions of each and every true crime story. Patrons will have access to an ad-free version so you can really relax without the distraction of advertisements, as well as a version with or without music. Some people enjoy the music and some people prefer it without, but patrons can have it all. You'll also have a video version, so there's a lot of value there in your membership and you're supporting the show. You can go to patreon.com slash truecrimesleepstories to sign up now. And now it's time to get comfy because I'm going to tell you a bedtime story. The Hinterkaifeck murders occurred on the evening of March 31, 1922, when six inhabitants of a small Bavarian farmstead located approximately 70 kilometers or 43 miles north of Munich, Germany, were murdered by an unknown assailant. The six victims were Andreas Gruber, age 63, Kazilia Gruber, age 72, their widowed daughter, Victoria Gabriel, age 35, Victoria's children, Kazelia, aged 7, and Joseph, age 2, and the newest maid, Maria Baumgartner, age 44. They were all found struck dead. The perpetrator, or perpetrators, lived with the six corpses of their victims for three days. The murders are considered to be one of the most gruesome and puzzling unsolved crimes in German history. Four of the dead bodies were stacked up in the barn, the victims having been lured there one by one. Prior to the incident, the family and their previous maid reported hearing strange sounds coming from the attic, which led that maid to be so scared of the house that she quit her job and left. The case remains unsolved to this day. Strange things began to occur in and around Hinterkaifeck sometime shortly before the attack. Six months prior to the attack, the family maid had quit. It had been widely claimed that her reason for leaving was that she heard strange sounds in the attic and believed that the house was haunted. Andreas Gruber found a strange newspaper from Munich on the property in March of 1922. He couldn't remember buying it and initially believed that the postman had lost the newspaper. That was not the case, however, as no one in the vicinity subscribed to that paper. Just days before the murders, Gruber told neighbors he discovered tracks in the fresh snow that led from the forest to a broken door in the farm's machine room. The tracks led in 
but there were no tracks leading out. Was someone hiding and waiting for them? Later during the night, they heard footsteps in the attic, but Gruber found no one when he searched the building. Although he told several people about these alleged observations, he refused to accept help, and the details went unreported to the police. According to a school friend of the seven-year-old Kazelia Gabriel, the young girl reported that her mother, Victoria, had fled the farm the night before the act after a violent quarrel, and only hours later had been found in the forest. On the afternoon of March 31st, 1922, a Friday, the new maid, Maria Baumgartner, arrived at the farm. Maria's sister had escorted her there and left the farm after a short stay. She most likely was the last person to see the family alive. It appears that in the late evening, Victoria Gabriel, her seven-year-old daughter, Cazelia, and her parents, Andreas and Cazelia, were lured to the family barn through the stable, where they were murdered one at a time. The perpetrator or perpetrators used a mattock, which is a tool similar to a pickaxe used for digging and chopping, belonging to the family farm, and killed the family with blows to the head. The perpetrator then moved into the living quarters where, with the same murder weapon, he killed baby Joseph sleeping in his bassinet and the family's maid in her bedchamber. Four days passed between the murders and the discovery of the bodies. On April 1st, coffee sellers Hans Shirovsky and Edward Shirovsky arrived in Hinterkaifeck to take an order. When no one responded to the knocks on the door and the window, they walked around the yard, but they found no one. They only noticed that the gate to the machine house was open before they decided to leave. Cazelia Gabriel was absent without excuse for the next few days of school, and the family failed to show up for Sunday worship, which was not like them. Assembler Albert Hoffner went to Hinterkaifeck on April 4th to repair the engine of the food chopper there. He stated that he had not seen any of the family and had heard nothing but the sounds of farm animals and the dog inside the barn. Around 3.30 p.m., Lawrence Schlittenbauer sent his son Johann, 16, and stepson Joseph, 9, to Hinterkaifeck to see if they could make contact with the family. When they reported that they had not seen anyone, Schlittenbauer headed to the farm the same day with Michael Pohl and Jacob Siegel. Entering the barn, they found the bodies of Andreas Gruber and his wife Cazelia Gruber, his daughter Victoria Gabriel, and his granddaughter Cazelia murdered in the barn. Shortly after that, they found the chambermaid, Maria Baumgardner, and the youngest family member, Victoria's son, Joseph, murdered in the home. Initial investigations began, but they were hampered by the number of people who had interacted with the crime scene, moved bodies and items around, and even cooked and eaten meals in the kitchen. The day after the discovery of the bodies, a court physician performed the autopsies in the barn. It was established that a mattock was most likely the murder weapon. 
though the weapon itself was not found at the scene. Evidence showed that the younger girl, Cazelia, had been alive for several hours after the assault. She had torn her hair out in tufts while lying in the straw. The skulls of the victims were removed and sent to Munich where they were further examined. The police first suspected the motive to be robbery, and they interrogated traveling craftsmen, vagrants, and several inhabitants from the surrounding villages. But when a large amount of money was found still in the house, they abandoned that theory. It was clear that the perpetrator had remained at the farm for several days after the murder. Someone had fed the cattle, eaten the entire supply of bread from the kitchen, and had recently cut meat from the pantry. With no clear motive to be gleaned from the crime scene, the police began to formulate a list of suspects. Despite repeated arrests, no murderer has ever been found, and the files were closed in 1955. Nevertheless, the last interrogations took place in 1986, before criminal hopped commissar Conrad Mueller retired. In the inspection record of the court commission, it was noted that the victims were probably drawn to the barn by restlessness in the stable and noises from the animals. A later recreation attempt, however, revealed that at least human screams from the barn could not be heard in the living area of the main house. On the night after the crime, three days before the bodies were discovered, the artisan Michael Plokel happened to pass by Hinterkaifeck. Plokel observed that the oven had been heated by someone in the house. That person had approached him with a lantern and blinded him, whereupon he hastily continued on his way. Plokel also noticed that the smoke from the fireplace had a disgusting smell. This instance was not investigated and there were no investigations conducted to determine what had been burned that night in the oven. On April 1st at 3 a.m., the farmer and butcher, Simon Rieblander, on the way home near Brunen, saw two unknown figures at the edge of the forest. When the strangers saw him, they turned around so that their faces could not be seen. Later, when he heard of the murders in Hinterkaifeck, he thought it was possible that the strangers might have been involved. In the middle of May 1927, a stranger was said to have stopped a resident of Weidhofen at midnight. He asked him questions about the murder and then shouted that he was the murderer before he ran into the woods. The stranger was never identified. The suspect list over the years has been extensive. There have been at least a dozen suspects who were very seriously considered to have possibly been linked to these crimes. All of these suspects have interesting and mysterious motives. The first suspect was the presumably deceased husband of Victoria Gabriel, Carl Gabriel. He had reportedly been killed in Arras, France by a shell attack in December 1914 during the First World War. However, his body had never been recovered. After the murders, people began to speculate on whether he had indeed died in the war. Victoria Gabriel had given birth to Joseph in her husband's absence. 
two-year-old Joseph was rumored to be the son of Victoria and her father, Andreas, who had an incestuous relationship that was documented in court and known in the village. He was raping his daughter, and the town convicted both of them of incest. After the end of the Second World War, war captives from the Schrobenhausen region, who were released prematurely from Soviet captivity, claimed that they had been sent home by a German-speaking Soviet officer who claimed to be the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. Some of these men later revised their statements, however, which diminishes their credibility. Many theorized that this Soviet might have been Carl Gabriel, because those who claimed to have seen the man after his reported death testified that Gabriel had wanted to go to Russia. This has never been proven. The next unusual suspect was a man named Lawrence Schlittenbauer. Shortly after the death of his first wife in 1918, Lawrence Schlittenbauer was believed to have had a romantic relationship with Victoria Gabriel. He too was thought to have possibly been the father of baby Joseph. Schlittenbauer came under suspicion by locals early in the investigation because of his several suspicious actions immediately after the discovery of the bodies. When Schlittenbauer and his friends arrived to investigate, they had to break a gate to enter the barn because all of the doors were locked. However, immediately after finding the four bodies in the barn, Schlittenbauer apparently unlocked the front door with a key and suspiciously entered the house alone. A key to the house had gone missing several days before the murders. Though it's possible that Schlittenbauer, as a neighbor or Victoria's potential lover, might have been given a key. When asked by his companions why he had gone into the house alone when it was unclear if the murderer might still be there, Schlittenbauer allegedly stated that he went to look for his son, Joseph. Regardless of the rumor, it's known that Schlittenbauer had disturbed the bodies at the scene, thus potentially compromising the investigation. For many years, local suspicion remained on Schlittenbauer because of his strange comments, which are seen as indicating knowledge of details that only the killer could recall. According to his information in the files for the case, local teacher Hans Blogger discovered Schlittenbauer visiting the remains of the demolished Hinterkaifeck in 1925. Upon being asked why he was there, Schlittenbauer stated that the perpetrator's attempt to bury the family's remains in the barn had been hindered by the frozen ground. This was seen as evidence that Schlittenbauer had intimate knowledge of the conditions of the ground at the time of the murders, although being a neighbor and familiar with the local land, he may have been making an educated guess. Another speculation was that Schlittenbauer murdered the family after Victoria demanded financial support for young Joseph. Before his death in 1941, Schlittenbauer conducted and won several civil claims for slander against people who described him as the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. Author Bill James in his book, The Man from the Train, alleges that a man known as Paul Mueller may have been responsible for the murders. Mueller was the only suspect in the 1897 murder of a Massachusetts family, and James believes Mueller killed dozens of victims based on research in American newspaper archives. 
the Hinterkaifeck murders bear some similarities to Mueller's suspected crimes in the United States, including the slaughter of an entire family located in their isolated Villisca, Iowa home using the blunt edge of an axe, also with the apparent absence of robbery as a motive. James suspects that Mueller, described as a German immigrant in contemporary media, might have departed the U.S. for his homeland after private investigators and journalists began to notice and publicize patterns in family murders across state lines following the brazen 1912 murder of two families in a single night in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and similar family murders weeks afterwards, a few hundred miles away in neighboring Kansas and then Iowa. In the last chapter of The Man from the Train, authors Bill James and his daughter Rachel McCarthy James briefly discuss the murders at Hinterkaifeck. The authors explain the possibility that the German crimes might have been committed by Paul Mueller, the serial killer that the authors believe killed several families in the U.S. under similar circumstances between 1898 and 1912. The murders attributed to Mueller, including the Velisca Axe murder, were apparently random nighttime home invasions in or near small railroad towns that left entire families bludgeoned to death with the blunt end of an axe and were probably motivated by a sadistic and necrophilic attraction to prepubescent girls. The authors rate the chances of Mueller as the Hinterkaifeck killer as more or less a toss-up, but they conclude that there's no real reason to believe that it's not him. But these are just a few of the suspects. There are many more, and although the Hinterkaifeck murders have never been solved, the legacy lives on in literature and on film in the form of books, articles, case studies, documentaries, and podcasts. I'm Kelly Barron's Brink, and this has been tonight's true crime sleep story. Lock your doors, sweet dreams, sleep tight, and don't let the monsters bite. Good night. <laughs>